Those of you who remain, whether here in person or on the live stream, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we go through this uh, capital campaign for the purpose of paying down our our debt, uh, we are turning to 2 Corinthians uh, for some guidance because it was in this book that Paul reveals his uh, plans to go to Corinth to collect uh, funds to take back to Jerusalem to help those in need there. Uh, But he spends very little time of the letter talking about the collection and a whole lot of time building the theological foundation for why that is even important. And so we turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and consider this theme, what it means for us to go further in freedom. This is God's word. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, in the midst of our groaning and burdened lives, lift Christ up before us that we might walk by faith, having concluded the glorious person and work of our Lord Jesus, that he has died for us, that he has risen again from the dead, that he gives us life and sends us out as ambassadors. Help us to comprehend this, O Lord, to stand in awe of who you are, that you would see fit to do such a thing. Teach us what it means for us to walk with you in that faith, to be your ambassadors, that we might be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was growing up, I was told, like maybe many of you, that if you put your mind to it, you can be anything that you want to be. And in a lot of things, that's true. I studied a little bit harder. The trigonometry wasn't as difficult for me. Social studies in English, it's another story altogether, but we won't talk about that. You can be anything you want to be. Don't let any obstacle stand in your way. Work harder, try more, be more. But there were some obstacles that were easier to overcome than others. There were some obstacles that stood in my way to being what I wanted to be that were utterly and completely impossible for me to deal with. Because my dream as a child was to be a starship captain. And... I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. Even if Elon Musk gets his little rocket to work in, I, I don't think it's in the cards for me. There are some obstacles that are just impossible to overcome. And as we continue in this capital campaign, We asked last week, and we ask again, what are some of those obstacles that might hinder our carrying out of this ministry vision that God has given us? And we aren't trying to be cute about it. We've made the case that our mortgage debt is an obstacle for us to to carrying out that ministry vision. But it's far from the greatest challenge. It's just a mortgage. We budget it conservatively. We just pay it off. Interest rates go up, they go down. God will take care of his people. It's not impossible. But there are impossible obstacles that we face in carrying out this ministry vision. They're not unlike those that Paul himself encountered, that the church in Corinth encountered. They are utterly and completely beyond our comprehension, sometimes even beyond our ability to identify or see or name, and they hinder us, hold us back, burden us from being faithful to the Lord. And yet, the Lord himself is not slowed by these things. There is not a barrier that can erect itself. There is not an obstacle that can present itself that the Lord cannot, with a word, with a breath, with a thought, tear down to nothing. 
And it's he that is inviting us to participate in his ministry vision. And as he does so, he wants us to see how he is able to identify and name and deal with any obstacle that might set itself against him or his church. And so in so doing, he invites us not to be further burdened, but to go further in the freedom that he offers, the freedom that, he des- that Paul describes in verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What does that mean for us? I want us to consider the implications of these verses with three things. There are many things, many obstacles that seek to control us. But if the love of Christ controls us, we are free. And Christ invites others into that same freedom through us. Many things attempt to control us, but if the love of Christ controls us, we are free. And Christ invites others into that same freedom through us. Let's dive in and consider these things a little more closely. The first thing I want us to consider is the reality that there are many things in this world, seen and unseen, that attempt to control us. And we have to say this because we live in a culture that likes to pretend that we are completely, radically, utterly free individuals to do anything that we want and to pursue any desire that we want. If you think it, you can be it. Don't let anybody hold you down. You go find your happiness. You go find your fulfillment. You go find your identity and your purpose in any way that you see fit. And don't let anyone tell you that you can't. That's the message that our culture gives us. But reality has a tendency of breaking into that message and showing the cracks and fractures and weaknesses of it. I mean, this is essentially what our debt is. It's a reminder that we're not really free. That's all debt is. It's one type of master. And so it doesn't make debt necessarily in itself good or bad. Scripture speaks about it. It speaks negatively of predatory debt. But it also acknowledges that it is good for us to owe no one anything except love. Because debt, it exerts some control over us, right? I remember in college ministry, from time to time, hearing people talk about their problems. And in my more sinful moments, when I go through impatient, I would say, I would think about saying, I would never actually said it, try getting a mortgage. Yeah. Then come back to me with your little problems with your roommate, right? Like, like you try paying thousands of dollars a month to the bank, and then, then let's talk. Uh, it's a master. Now, sometimes it's allowed us to do great things, to buy a home, to build a multipurpose building, to, to get transportation. But it also 
demands to be answered month in and month out, month in and month out. There are many other things much more powerful than a mortgage that seek to exert control over us. Impossible obstacles seeking mastery over us. Paul talks about them in this passage. In verses 16 through 21, he references this this old that has passed away regarding things according to the flesh. This is his way of referencing that old man. Some of your translations might describe the old man as the, the sinful nature. It is this guilt that burdens us. The knowledge of the things that we have done. The things that we regret, the things that have brought harm, the things that we are afraid to answer for before the judgment seat of Christ. And that guilt has a hold on us. And so often it's that old man that seeks to exert control over us, to dictate the directions of our life. To say, you need to do this. You need to to try harder. You need to be better. You need to overcome this. You're never going to be free of it. We're trapped by our guilt. Wondering if we'll ever be able to be free to just live without that burden. In verses 11 through 15, he talks about the law. Not God's law, that perfect law that brings freedom, but this sort of worldly law that focuses not on the heart, but on outward things. That outward conformity, the opinion of a man, the expectations of the culture that seek to exert control over us to say, this is how you need to live. These are the things that you need to accept. These are the desires that are good that you should indulge yourself in. And when we don't conform... When we don't find ourselves in those positions where we can boast about how well we're doing and how good we're behaving and how much success we're having in this world, when we don't manifest that outward conformity to this worldly law, we find shame heaped upon us. How could you be that sort of person? How could you think that? People stand aghast. We live in a culture where it doesn't matter if you're on the right or the left. Step out of line and you can find a way to be canceled. A way to be disregarded. A way to be shamed into silence. To be controlled to conform to this worldly law. We don't have a whole lot of power to overcome And the shame that it wields is a powerful weapon. It burdens our souls. It keeps us up at night. It gives us hesitancy in our relationships, causes us even to withdraw into loneliness and isolation to a place where we feel utterly trapped and unable to be free from it. And in verses 1 through 10, if... Guilt or shame aren't the things that are burdening you now. He reminds us of that ultimate burden, the fear of death. 
That one great equalizer that none of us can overcome. And in this existence, we groan. We are burdened. And the longer you live, and the more you see your friends get sick, the more you see loved ones pass away, the more you see tragedy steal those so far before their time. Perhaps you're reminded that we don't have forever. And that fear of death has such subtle ways of invading our reality and exerting control over us. Live your best life now. We have this fear of missing out. We've got to stay up. We've got to work harder to earn more money, to have more fun. We exhaust ourselves at the altar of living, never actually living, just enslaved to this fear of death. Trapped by what lies beyond Is it judgment? Is it torture? Do we blink out of existence? What awaits us on the other side? Paul, throughout this passage, is pointing out to the Corinthians and to us that we have far less control over our lives than we think. There are these impossible obstacles. They stand in our way. They direct our paths. They seek to exert control over us, to get us to conform to what they would have us do and to be. And they're not afraid to wield guilt or shame or fear to get their ends. So what might be exerting control over you? What addiction? What person's opinion? What social media algorithm that keeps feeding you certain things? What diagnosis? What financial decisions? What is exerting control over you? Here in this campaign, one of the reasons we started talking about it was the reality that interest rates are going up, right? And every five years, our commercial mortgage that we have, you have to renegotiate. You don't get any control. We have no control over what the interest rates do. We planned, we built that into the system, but... But if we just scrambled in fear of what might be, How are we living in the freedom of the Lord? If we are just running in fear of guilt or shame or even of death, how are we set free? But notice what Paul says here in verse 7 where he shifts the perspective. He says, we we are those who know the fear of the Lord. This is a different sort of fear. It's a sort of fear that invites us in, that draws us near, that builds intimacy, doesn't create isolation or alienation. And he invites us to something else entirely. 
to draw near to the one who can lay all of these obstacles low. And he says that if the love of Christ controls us, only then are we set free from all of these other things. All of the guilt, all of the shame, even of death itself. Being trapped by these things can lead us to despair. Are there those things that you did when you were 12 or 15 or 21 or yesterday or this morning that just gnaw at you and you, you relive those moments over and over again? What if I had done this? What if I had done that? You have those conversations with yourself over and over again and you can never get out of it and you despair that you can ever escape it. But Paul says something so powerful here. He says, we've concluded something different. He's not going over those past things. He's looking somewhere else entirely. We have concluded something about Christ. It's his love that controls us because he is the one who died. Because he died, we died. And in that death, we were set free from all of those things that would seek to control us. The old is gone. And he set us free to live, not for ourselves, not trapped in our heads, not imprisoned by our own shame or our guilt or even the death that awaits us, but set free to live for him who lives forever. And if we live for him who lives forever, how will he not make us live forever with him as well? Look at how what Paul wrestles with through this passage answers all of those impossible obstacles. Oh, this shame that burdens us, the opinions of man when we don't conform outwardly. And yet the Lord, it says, we, what we are is known to God. He knows us. He knows our inner frame. He doesn't care so much for outward conformity because he knows and sees and understands the heart. And he's the sort of God that Paul says, who when he he knows the heart, yet he doesn't count our trespasses against us. He knows all of those things that would keep you cut off from him. And yet he still draws you near. The shame is gone. He knows all of the things and still moves toward you. We wonder about the guilt. But Paul says, no. Now, because of who we are in Christ, we don't live in fear of punishment. We have courage. Courage to live lives that seek to please the Lord. Not to earn his favor, not to earn the right to draw near, but because he has already brought us close. And so we can be bold and brave to live for him. 
Because the old is gone. And the new has come. And he allows us to live freely in him as those new creations. Because the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. So that it can be said truly, the old guilt, the old shame, the old life is gone. We are new creations in Christ. And though it doesn't always feel that way, though the reality of that doesn't always sink in, Paul reminds us there is more that yet awaits. We don't don't behold Jesus by by sight just yet. We walk by faith. We believe that our God is so good and so glorious and so full of truth and so full of power that these things that he has said, these things that he has promised, these things that he has invited us into... He is good for. It's interesting how often the New Testament uses this theme of walking to describe the Christian life. To walk by faith, to walk in the Spirit, to walk in love, to walk in the way. One theologian, I think it was Dallas Willard, but don't fact check me on that, described walking as the pace of love. You see, these other obstacles, these other things that would seek to control us and direct us and have mastery over us, they bring with them a freneticism. I've got to get rid of this guilt. I've got to shake this shame. I've got to live now because death is coming. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. And there is this freneticism and energy and franticness to just get free. If we can. But when the love of Christ controls us, it invites us into a pace that is slow, that is walking, that isn't trying to get to the next thing because Christ has done it, It invites us to walk with him to participate with him in what he is doing in this world, to draw near to him and know his goodness and his grace and his love and his mercy in a way that frees us from the frantic striving to finally break through, to finally break free. Because as we draw near to Christ and we let him direct our steps, he sets us free to truly live. Where do you need to be reminded of Christ's abiding love for you? Perhaps your sins loom large in your heart and soul. And you think to yourself, but if Christ only knew the things that I thought, the things that I felt, the things that I've done, the harm that I've caused. Friend, he knows. He knows more than you know. And he doesn't hold it against you. He died so that you could live. 
maybe your weakness or your uncertainty, not knowing what the future is going to bring, not knowing what the path of success is, not knowing what it is that God even wants of you or how you're going to be able to do it or how you're going to be able to survive all of this stuff that is burdening you now, your marriage, your children, your job, just the burden of life itself. And Christ invites you to draw near and just walk with him through it. Believing he is able, even as you are burdened in this life, to bring you to the day where you are away from the body and at home with the Lord. Not even death, not even uncertainty, nothing can hinder you. Nothing can stand in the way and get between you and the love of God in Christ. We read about it here. The reason is, is that God, for our sake, for us, his, his whole purposes were oriented towards this great, glorious good news. For our sake, he made Christ to become our sin. So that in Christ, as we believe in him, as we draw near to him, as we walk with him in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God, pure and holy and radiant and beloved of the Father. Not because of anything that we have done. Because of what he has done for us, paying the ultimate debt. That we might live life with him forever. The love of Christ controls you. You are free. And Christ, through you, is inviting others into that same freedom. Maybe we don't know what to do with freedom. Right? You walk into the grocery store and the shelves are full and it's hard to decide which diabetic coma-inducing, sugary, sweet, painfully rainbow-colored cereal am I going to get this time? Maybe I should rethink my life decisions, but I don't know. It's just hard to decide sometimes when there's so many choices. Which is one reason I like Costco. You're like, this is the shampoo we're going to sell you. It's the best. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. This is the toothpaste we're going to have. This is the chair you can buy. This is the kind of meat you can have. I love, they've done all the work. They found the best things. And I don't care if you don't agree that they're the best. I don't have too much cause to complain. How much more has God in Christ shown us the best, the truly best way to live, to be free, to draw near to him, to be who he has called and made us to be? He has set us free to live in him, to be about his glorious work. And he is not like earthly masters. He has restored in us that goodness and that glory of creation, shaping us who were made in his image, but marred by sin more and more into his likeness that we might be truly, not just in name, but in reality, sons and daughters of God. And not only has he reconciled us to himself, but he has given us, he has entrusted to us 
the very message of reconciliation. To the point that it can be said that when we go out into this world and we speak of our Savior, when we speak of our God, when we speak of the freedom that we have in Him because of His sacrifice on our behalf, it can be truly said that God Himself, the eternal Creator of all the world, the One who has all of the power, the One who is reconciling the world to Himself, is making His appeal through you to everybody you encounter. What a privilege that God does not draw us near to himself, reconcile us to himself, and then make us servants. Now, go clean the toilet, load the dishwasher, sweep out the garage. He appoints us to this prestigious post of ambassador to the world to your family, to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to the region, that we might bear the light of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. What are the, what are the things that appear to hinder our ministry? Debt? Okay, sure, maybe. Uncertainty. Oh, where am I supposed to go? Who am I supposed to talk to? What am I supposed to say? I don't know. Rejection. When you have those conversations, when somebody finally asks you, what what is your faith all about? And you feel like, oh, but they didn't pray to receive Jesus right then. I failed. Like, what are the things? Paul reminds us here. That God himself is speaking. He is making his appeal. He is the God who said, let there be light, and the darkness fled. He is the God who declares, you are my son. He is the God who has the power to make it just true that you have done well and good faithful servants with but a word. And he sends us out with a good news that's not our word. It's his word. And there is not an obstacle that can truly stand in his way. And maybe you felt rejection here. Maybe you felt uncertainty there. Maybe you have not seen the the fruitfulness that you hoped for, longed for, or prayed for in this place. Yet God is at work. And he sets us free from worrying about the results. And we might just walk with him as ambassadors of the king. As we commit as a congregation to prayer in this campaign, we're not just praying that God would take care of the debt. In fact, that's secondary, intentionally and explicitly a secondary concern. Our prayer is for his guidance, for his provision, for his power, for him to renew in us that vision for the ministry that he's about. 
that we might be united as a congregation in him to serve not ourselves, him who for our sake died and rose again. May God take us further into that freedom. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do this very thing. Help us, O Lord. The obstacles that this world presents before us do indeed seem impossible to us, and sometimes it even seems impossible that you would deal with them. Guilt and shame and fear have this insidious way of telling us God won't. But here in this passage, you are telling us again and again that you are doing. You are reconciling the world to yourself. You are making the old pass away that the new might come. You are bringing this about. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us the faith to see this and believe it and draw near to you that we might know the love of Christ that in controlling us sets us free. We ask it in his name. Amen. Let's stand as we prepare our